Hello, I'm James Simons, and welcome to The Career Scoop, a podcast all about career progression, advice, and experiences aimed at assisting those who are in career transition. My guest today is Maeve Rafferty, who's currently located and working and living in Nairobi, Kenya, and she's coming to us from Kenya on this podcast. Uh, Maeve studied in Trinity College, qualifying in 2019 with a BA in Political Science, then went to work with Goal and Via Torres in Uganda, went back to Edinburgh University to a master's in African International Development, and is currently working as a project manager in My Daiwa in Nairobi, Kenya. My Daiwa is an organization that's created a telehealth platform um, that is integrated into a $5 million revenue e-pharmacy. Maeve, it's it's great to have you on the show today. You are in uh, Nairobi in Kenya. Uh, I don't think I've ever recorded anyone uh, who's in Nairobi in Kenya. I've been in Kenya. What? <laughs> Tell us about Nairobi. What are you doing there? How did you get there? Yeah, thanks, James, for having me. Delighted to be here. Um, I am indeed in Nairobi, Kenya currently. Um, I came over to Kenya two years ago um, in September on holidays to visit a friend. Um, and I had just finished my master's, was unemployed and hadn't um, secured anything. So decided to take a bit of a break, come out here, do some networking. Knew it was a region I was interested in and fell in love with it instantly, to be honest. Um, so that's how I ended up out here originally and about came out on a five week holiday and it's come into a two year uh, living situation. Wow. So what was it? What was it like, you know, arriving in town? I know you've been in Uganda before. Uh, what was yeah. it like Nairobi? Tell us about living in Nairobi. Yeah, just generally, I suppose I came out. Um, like you said, I've been in Uganda, I've been to Tanzania, Ghana, South Africa. I had a bit of experience. Um, I had previously taken a job in Uganda that was derailed by COVID. And um, so coming out, I was actually really taken aback at how incredibly developed Nairobi is. I knew um, it was going to be developed. I was pretty well aware of that, having studied a master's in African development. But the skyscrapers, when you arrive into the city, are really breathtaking and um, kind of reminisce of New York more than Dublin <laughs> um, initially. Um, and then also, I suppose the contrast is really um, huge. You know, there's very different lifestyles being led in a similar city. And um, you have huge skyscraper, beautiful buildings buildings and um, with hawkers on the street selling peanuts and selling oranges and fruits on the side of the road in front of them um, and dust all around you beside really paved nice roads so it's always a I think it's a city with lots of little cities within us gosh I'd say that the smells and the colors and the you know even even the street food cars the yes. hunting, all that kind of all coming together with sunshine Africa music yeah, it's busy. Gosh. So tell me now, if, if I'm right, I, my, my pronunciation may be incorrect. You are, are now working for a company called My Dawa. Am I right? Yes, exactly. My Dawa translates um, from Swahili to My Medicine. Okay, My Medicine. So tell us all about mm -hmm. that, what the company is about, what you do, how you got the job. Yeah, so I suppose I came over here um, and pretty quickly fell in love with Kenya and decided I'd start doing a bit of networking. Um, and talking to different people, reaching out to people, real cold leads, really, to be honest, um, and came across my dawa. They were advertised well across the whole city, um, and a connection in Ireland had also mentioned them to a family member. Um, so I reached out, and it just happened to be quite serendipitous, um, came in and spoke to the managing director and the founder at the time was over in Nairobi. 
and they just received a uh, grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I came in, my background was in, uh, my undergraduate is in business and political science from Trinity, and then I had done a master's in African development at the University of Edinburgh. So I had a pretty uh, strange background insofar I was at the nexus of commercial and development organisations. And, and my background in terms of work had always been in NGOs, but I wanted to go back into the commercial space while still working on social impact and specifically in healthcare. And so I came into my DAWA um, and met with them. And um, they're an e-pharmacy. They've been founded for about five years at the time and had run pretty under the radar for a long time. Um, and they've been scouted by the Gates Foundation for a grant to enable the first end-to-end -end online healthcare journey for HIV prevention services. Um, and they needed a project manager. So I want to say the stars aligned really well after months of disappointment and applying for numerous jobs I kind of walked into a role I was really really interested in it fit my skill set and in a company that was really quickly growing gaining a lot of traction in the market and um, my dad was originally found as an e-pharmacy and um, as a result of the HIV prevention work we've done we've uh, also created a telehealth side to the business so we're now the first integrated um, online healthcare company in Kenya. Well, how does that work? I mean, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's digital. So how does that work in reality? So say someone who's out yeah. in the suburbs of Nairobi, how do they use your yeah. smartphone? Yeah, exactly. Um, so they download our app or just go on to, you know, any kind of browser and Google mydawa.com. And then it depends on what they want. If they want product, they can buy that product and it doesn't require a prescription. And we deliver it to their home within four hours in Nairobi County. Um, if they want a prescription, they need to call our medical center and they'll talk to the healthcare provider, consultations free of charge. And the healthcare provider will do an assessment, triage, um, and make a diagnosis. And based on that diagnosis, if there's need for a prescription, they'll write the prescription and upload it onto our platform and enable the customer to check out with prescription medication. They can also, the customer, upload a prescription they've got from elsewhere and check out on our platform. And again, it's the same delivery process. Everything is delivered in Nairobi with um, things we call boda bodas. So a boda is a motorbike. Um, and men are delivering all over the city with these boda bodas, our parcels that are branded uh, pink and green everywhere. Wow. But you're say your your organization is saving lives because am I right that there's a in Africa or maybe in, Ken in Kenya, I think you shared with me before about there's a lot of fake medicine that's that's um that kills people. Yeah. It's not real medicine. Yeah, yeah, I suppose there's a lot of regulations that aren't adhered to. And um, the PPB, the Pharmaceutical Business Board in Kenya, works really hard to put regulations in place. But there's a lot of informal economies. So, yeah, there's a lot of counterfeit medication in the market. We assure our customers of, you know, really um, secure supply chains, making sure we vet our suppliers really strongly or we white label medication coming into the customers directly from manufacturers in India and to make sure that we know our customers are getting quality assured medication and to kind of reduce the results of antimicrobial resistance in the market, which is really high in in Kenya more generally because of the lack of access to maybe um, quality assured medication and also the availability of prescription only medication as over the counter medication. So a lot of the time, a lot of pharmacies won't ask you for a prescription when they should. We will always ask you for a prescription. And, and as a, a, I think what they call a mzungu, am I correct on that in, in Swahili? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyone who's a, a, a white person, that's 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 mm -hmm. what we're, we're called. When you arrived over there two years ago, so you're young, you've been in Africa, you know a little bit about it. 
Um, how did you? How have you grown? What have you learned? Um, what are the, <laughs> the mistakes, the funny stories, the cultural gap? Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose what I uh, coming over and being, you know, taken aback in a lot of situations. I'm probably the only person that looks like me in most rooms, and um, so you're very aware of your positionality when you go into different situations. I'm very aware of who you are in walking into a room because you stand out. Um, but I love Kenyans. They've taught me how to be relaxed. I was extremely uptight, <laughs> always have been a bit of a type A personality. It's really taught me to not take things so seriously, to go with the flow. They're extremely entrepreneurial as a um, nation. They Every kind of business opportunity is there is that someone will try and tap into it, will try and make a space and create a space for themselves to be successful. So looking at pictures more broadly and kind of looking at innovation in a really broad sense and where we typically would look at a square box at home you know and say okay well we can't fit a square in a circle so we won't bother a circle in a square here it's okay well how can I change that shape to make it work for me um, and I really admire that mindset um, so it's really challenged me to look at things really differently and when things are messy don't think okay you can't handle that think okay how can I make this messy situation an opportunity and make something real out of it um, it's really interesting to learn uh, in terms of funny stories. I suppose um, I speak Swahili now, um, which a lot of expats maybe don't learn. I think it's a really beautiful language and I spent a while learning it before I arrived over here as well. Um, I tried French and ironically found French a lot more difficult than Swahili. And so I find it quite funny when people are speaking about me in public places to just butt into the conversation <laughs> and let them know or... Uh, People will scream sometimes when you're up country, you know, you know, they see a person who's foreign that they might see often. They say Mzungu and I say, oh, Wapi, which means where. <laughs> and just to create a little fun always gets a bit of a giggle. Oh, that's that's great. And so what can you share in Swahili with us? What's one to five or, you know, just curious for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, you say, uh, I can say Sasa, Habari Zaleo, Unafanya Nini, which essentially means hi how are you how's your day going and um, i'm planning to go home because i am tired we're at the end of our work day here wow wow and uh, actually as a language how i mean how 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 did you learn it i mean how did you learn you know you know because i presume it's got verbs and action words and con, you know it's conjugated yeah 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 it's um, a really interesting language it's a bantu and arabic mix um because it originates from coastal kenya and tanzania um and where there was a lot of trading going on and how I learned it I did evening lessons during my master's just for the fun um, and then when I got over here I work in a fully Kenyan company and uh, I am one of kind of two foreigners in the company and um, so it's listening to my colleagues really every day continuing classes for a while but at this stage it's just you know very much a question of being immersed in the language every day and picking it up and and um, making sure people repeat words back to me if I don't understand them. And I'll always ask. If I don't understand something, I will always ask. And pronunciation, is there a, you know, like some languages you have to roll tongues? Is there, <laughs> yeah. is there, is there a clickety thing or is there is there something no. different? Because you're an Irish <laughs> no. speaker, right? You're, you're a Gaelgore. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, Gwailgor. So no, it's actually a really easy language. There's no real pronunciation with it. Um, people will say now sometimes my English has twangs of Swahili in it. And I know I change my wording sometimes to mirror what I hear a lot here and don't even realize it. I went home and I kept saying to my parents, me, I do this. And they'd be like, babe, it's just I do. And whereas in Kenya, we always say me, I. So. <laughs> gotcha. That's that, that, yeah. that, that, that's funny. And now you're managing a team, you know, you're, yeah. you know, you're, how did you learn? Where did you learn your management skills or any interesting stories? Yeah. Probably culturally, you know, obviously. Yeah, it's cross-cultural communication all the time. Yeah, so I manage a team, a projects team, um, who are based in different departments, so across clinical, tech, marketing, um, etc. Um, and it's been a really, really fascinating experience. Like, hats off, the people who interviewed me really took a chance on me because my experience probably didn't quite line up to what they were uh, you know recruiting for at the time but they saw the potential and it's been a real question of learning on the job I have had been fortunate enough to have two different managers while I've been at my dawa both of whom have taught me really different skill sets and um, my first manager had an incredible attention to detail which enabled me to kind of look at things and really make sure that I went through things with a fine tooth comb without spending too much time on it and then becoming a blocker um, and my current manager is a phenomenal people person. She has an amazing ability to motivate people, to put structures in place to motivate people, and has taught me a lot about how do I incentivize different personalities on my team, make sure everybody's need, needs are met, while also ensuring that they meet their KPIs that are put in place for, with them and meet the career progression goals that we come up with together. So it's been a fascinating experience and something I've actually thoroughly enjoyed. And I, I'm aware, obviously, back when you were in college, I think you did some, um, you were a sailing coach. And you yes. you, you coached in, in a very posh place in America, if I recollect from. <laughs> How would you compare contrast? Do you want to tell us what, what compare contrast the types of people? Because people are the same. It doesn't matter what wealth they have. I'm more curious just the cultural uh, comparisons. Yeah, cultural differences. Um, I think... I suppose working in Ireland and the US, maybe it's Ireland is the culture I'm brought up in. Um, it's my first language. Um, English, obviously, being able to interact with everyone. Sailing is quite different because I was always working with children um, and they're actually a whole different kettle of fish to manage. But definitely cross-cultural communication skills became really, really important after I graduated from university. I worked with Goal, an NGO based in Ireland, so our team was very multicultural. I then worked with a Ugandan-based team and now I'm obviously working with a Kenyan-based team. My research was based in Malawi during my master's, so that was all Malawi-based. So what I've really learned is, I suppose, Hey, I, you know, meeting people where they are, I'm not going to change the situation I walk into majorly if I'm in the minority. Um, I need to learn how people communicate, what's important culturally. And um, it's funny, when I went back to Ireland recently, it was the first time I was there for a long period of time. And in Kenya, when you first meet someone, because in Swahili, a greeting is also asking someone how they are, you immediately get a response and they ask you how you are. And that's really, really important culturally. I can't say, hi, can you do this for me? I have to say, hello, how are you? How's your day? And then go forward. So I think it's a lot of the time picking up on little nuances and how you communicate with different people. And um, it's probably more of a patriarchal society here. So understanding that, you know, there's going to have to be deferences where I maybe wouldn't differ in an Irish context here it's important to acknowledge that that's the context I'm working in and if I want to be successful in the context I'm working in I need to learn how to communicate in a way that's culturally sensitive here. Gotcha so if I if you were talking to a young Maeve yes. three, three years ago now what would yeah. you tell her 
what she didn't know? Um, I mean, I, I left university and I was very idealistic. I had a business degree, a business and political science degree, and decided I'd go into NGOs. And I think one of the main things in looking back, and even though I'm in my early stages of my career, is I was quite, um, I was quite unsure of big named commercial firms and where they get me and where I wanted to go being where I am now and looking you know into year five of my career and saying okay where do I want to move next to my career goals and watching other people who might have gone into big named firms and got a basis in consultancy for instance I'm a little jealous sometimes I think having that name can help you a lot of the time having experience in smaller firms meant I have a huge amount more responsibility than I'd ever get in one of these big machines but that name does carry you and looking at a long-term career plan it can be a very smart first move to engage with and not to be so um so uh I don't know how to say it but so just no I don't need that I'll actually make my own way and you will I think I have and it's testament that I haven't got any of these big names that I am doing quite well but it can help definitely can help um, I'd also like to say, you know, it works out. It'll work out and you'll feel, you might know exactly where you want to go out of university. I went into NGOs. That's definitely not where I want to be based. I like being in the social impact space within a commercial organization and especially in healthcare. So, you know, your first career step doesn't have to define everything you do afterwards. It will teach you, if anything, about what you do like and what you don't want. Um, and in doing so, you can be more strategic in your next career move. So it's, it's, I suppose it's experience. It's worth going the journey and that's what you learn. What might, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but if you could feed something, any, if you two or three things, I'm talking about networking, all the kind of, the, 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 the there are buzzwords, but maybe in second yeah. level and third level, um, those conversations aren't had in the form that we're having now to say it's okay. No. You know, I'm just thinking that that's really where I'm, you know, would that, would that have been useful or would you been able to, would you been able to hear? Oh yeah, 100%, I think. You know yeah, that? no, I, I think I would have. And if someone had sat down with me and said, you know, we left university and it was so exciting, you know, we we're finishing our exams and everything was big and people who'd done milk rounds had jobs secured. And some of us, like myself, had decided to focus on the academia and worry about the job later. Um, and it's saying, you know, that's OK. And talk to people. Just make sure while you're doing that, you're always talking to people. I think reaching out to people, even on LinkedIn, I send, and this is something I learned from you, James, but I send so many messages to people saying, hey, I'd love to get a virtual coffee. Your career where you are now is somewhere I'd like to get to. Can we talk? And you meet really interesting people doing that. And I think one prime example is I applied for a job with a company and was rejected. They never interviewed me. And I reached out to the CEO on LinkedIn and he immediately said, yeah, I'd love to meet. And we had a great conversation. And he said, in the future, please reach out if you're looking to move because you're someone I'd be really interested in. So you never know, you know, um, what your CV might say versus what people might feel when they meet you face to face or get to talk to you online. So don't be afraid to push it. LinkedIn's a fabulous um, network. Resource. To, to, yeah, to it is. So don't be afraid to have a goal, but get get a nice message. Spend some time getting the message right that represents exactly, you. Uh, and then just put it in a way that might resonate with somebody. And I, what you're sharing there, that most people have, if they're wired or tuned that way, they've done it themselves, so they get it. Yes. Yeah. And you get to meet really, really interesting people that you might meet because they're spread across the world as well. It's an incredible. I've spoken to people in Australia and in the US 
and I'm based in Kenya. It's quite impressive, really. Okay. Can I come back to you changing as a person from this uh, Taipei-esque to <laughs> borrowing the African, uh, I was going to say manana, that's inappropriate, that African way of, of maybe listening and responding, maybe listening more and responding. Yeah. Uh, how, how has that changed you? I mean, it's made me, I think, a lot more calm a personality. And I'm, <laughs> I think everybody does the personality tests and we did them as a management team to understand what color you are. Are you red? Are you blue? Are you yellow? Are you green? And I'm an extremely red personality, which means I'm uh, extroverted and I like direction and I'm very direct in my delivery of things. And what it's made me really do is sit back and take time instead of jumping at things. It's saying, actually, do you know what? Nothing's going to change massively in the next five minutes. You have an hour or two to think about this and come up with a really uh, comprehensive and holistic response to a situation, um, which I think is really, really helpful in taking that time. Now, sometimes you just need to move and things need to move, and that's great as well. But it's learning that everything doesn't have to go by my time. It can go by another time, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And um, It's also been being here has taught me incredibly different leadership skills and just making sure that I'm really cognizant of who I'm trying to lead and pondering to their individual needs um, and not making them fit my leadership style but changing my leadership style to make sure I get the best out of my team. And did you have to talk with people maybe who were more experienced to kind of bounce that to try to form your approach because like the cultural sensitivities um, over there are are, 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 are obviously hugely important people are going to deliver the product you're managing the team you're getting to know them but like you know you've only got an you know five years work experience it's you know how you know, to develop that on the fly is hard did do you have a mentor yeah. or something to to say how oh, but you know, do you able to talk with people i'm going to do this this didn't work or that didn't yeah work. I'm curious to how how that evolved because that's about confidence yes. as well yeah, I think it's massively about confidence. Um, definitely, I, in the first couple of career, years of my career, was extremely lucky. My grandfather was still alive and was quite successful um, and had worked in South Africa for quite a number of years um, and worked actually lecturing in management in South Africa. So I was really lucky to be able to talk to him and talk through management styles and understand that we'd probably be quite different personalities, but it was really interesting to glean his experience and talk things over with him. Um, in more recent years, um, I'm extremely lucky at the moment to have a manager at work who really takes the time to sit with me. And I've told her, you know, where do I want to be and where are my career aspirations? And she's helping me develop these skills and um, to say, OK, I want to be able to lead people and I want to be able to lead businesses and do well in doing that specifically in this healthcare space. And if I'm going to get there, what skills do I need to learn now? So it's all about learning on the job. And I think it's funny going back and looking at my notes, even for my undergrad. I studied people management and I studied organizational behavior. But <laughs> when you get into practice is when you really learn. And okay. being given this space to make mistakes by my manager is amazing. Yeah. I suppose also the big thing is if you say this, I'm sorry, guys, I got that wrong. Let's go again. Yeah. 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 100%. I had to apologize to one of the people on my team today and say, you know, I responded to that situation in a way that didn't work for you. Let's talk about how I can do that better in the future. Because ultimately, you know, your team are going to give you the best feedback out of everyone because they're interacting with you every day and you either work for them or you don't. And you want to work for them. Yeah. That's it. Uh, I think you could, well, if you had a course like that in college, maybe, 
or in or in second yeah. level. Would that be lovely? A lovely thing to have. Now, whether you be able to, because it's all in context of where you are and how you grow as a yes. person. Because sometimes the environment isn't going to suit that because it's just another course. So you, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm just, I'm always curious if if I get into trouble now, third level, and uh, those type of courses <laughs> of, of 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 you know your emotional intelligence and trying to, uh, and everybody has different levels of that. And trying to yeah. make you self-aware as to where your where your your where you can go to and where the boundary is and then how you can improve. Exactly. And, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, and I think it's about where you are in your career as well. Maybe if I'd done it in college, it wouldn't have seemed as, as important to me because it would have been about a grade. Whereas now I just completed um and I loved doing um a social entrepreneurship and global health course with um Boer Ingram uh pharmaceutical company and it taught me so much because I'm now working in that context and I could go after each lecture and apply it and work the next day which you know is a fantastic way to be able to do things and you know during university if you have the opportunity to do placement-based work I think that's where the real learning comes in. Okay so coming from Dublin going to Kenya no fears it's like going anywhere else. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I have had numerous people come and visit me. I have a friend over at the moment who I grew up with as well. Everybody enjoys the experience of coming over. It's a great place, but it's very funny because when people leave, some people are like, that was wonderful. Don't know how you do it every day. And some people say, oh, yeah, I could move here. So <laughs> it's divisive. <laughs> That's great. So when you're not uh, working, Maeve, what, what does yep. a kind of Friday night or Friday night, what, what does it <laughs> What does it look like? I mean, in a sense of what you might be doing yeah. in Brooklyn, what you be doing in downtown Nairobi or or wherever. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, I don't spend a huge amount of my downtime in Nairobi. So during the week, I swim before I come to work. There's a pool near my house after work. And I meet friends for dinner, go out for a drink. Uh, we were at live jazz last night. Um, and at the weekends, I would say I spend solidly two weekends of every month out of Nairobi. And um, so we spend a lot of time traveling. I have a car that I have learned so much about mechanics. One of those strange things I never thought I'd learn moving to Kenya. But I have learned to fix my own car, which is sometimes a huge bonus. Um, and we go up country. We go and visit friends' houses who live or have families um, who live up country. We go on safaris. We go to the coast. We're very, very fortunate to be about an hour's flight from uh, the Indian Ocean. And I dive as well. Um, so I quite enjoy going to the coast and going diving. And um, it's really anything and everything you could do. Gosh, it sounds fabulous. Like when you've got safari and and obviously the Indian Ocean, the kind of the richness of people yes. that associate Kenya with that richness of of opportunity uh, of, of of things to do. Yeah, and I have to say, even amongst I'm fortunate to both have expat and local friends, but amongst anyone who's here, there that richness really shines through. People are very innovative. It's a very different context from what I was used to in Dublin. People are coming up with business ideas. They're trying them. To, they're trying to get funding all the time and um, so there's a huge uh, young expat community out here working as well which I think a lot of people don't know there's very few Irish we're eight under the age of 35 we know one another very well um, but there are hundreds of Dutch and French and uh, British who are also coming out here and trying their luck so it's a really really interesting context to be kind of growing up in the first stages of my career in. Wow. In your sector, if I can use that, maybe that's that's yeah. incorrect. Who are the people you admire? And they could be. Um, yeah, I mean, that's very interesting. The, the global health space is a space that's filled with really 
um, influential and really people who fly under the radar, I think, a lot. They're not people who scream from the rooftops. We've done something amazing. They're really in it to improve the lives of people and people's healthcare. Um, in terms of people specifically, I couldn't. I don't think I could pinpoint individuals. I really thoroughly enjoy um, reading certain things. So every week I read, or every month, sorry, Salient Advisory are a company who um, are all about health tech in Africa. And they kind of collate all the interesting people and what they're doing. And it's great to read those stories and then see what different people are fundraising for, um, what different companies, you know, private equity, and debt equity, they, all these different kind of companies are investing in and seeing where the future of health tech is. And there's a man called Bertalan Mesco. He's from the Medical Futurist Institute. And he has a newsletter that comes out every fortnight, I think, that, again, is really interesting. And that's global at looking at, you know, where digital healthcare is going in the future. And so I quite enjoy, you know, maybe not concentrating on individuals, but concentrating on the healthcare space and looking at the different innovations that are coming down the line. And if you were to reverse engineer back to Ireland, what were the three or four things with a bit of knowledge, you know, that you yeah. do, you could do very quickly that would help us in our... In Ireland? Yeah, I think that's really a fascinating question because what I've seen in working at my DAWA and, you know, working on the PrEP project, but actually developing our telehealth product more broadly is the early adopters. And people here are able to leapfrog development in the West because they haven't gone through the same growth phases that we have So the um, adoption of telehealth is really quick. Whereas if you look at telehealth providers in the West and you can look at people like Babylon and it went on the uh, stock market and did really badly. Um, And why? Because people maybe aren't as open to new innovations in healthcare specifically, which is very personal in the West where they're used to having that one-on-one face-to-face interaction with healthcare providers. So for me, I think one of the big learnings would be um, marketing is, you know, how do you do demand generation in different contexts and make sure the messages you're getting out there resonate with the target audience? Here, it's easier because the target audience are more open. But in Ireland, why hasn't telehealth taken off as much as it is? Is it a question of educating the target audience about the benefits of it um, versus traditional healthcare and how it's so focused on self-care and people taking control of their own healthcare needs as opposed to always being reliant on a healthcare provider and, and having easy access to healthcare providers. So I think that whole demand generation side of things is really interesting when you're looking at different contexts. So where, again, I mean, this may be, I'm not an expert in this, where would be an area, like I know, like, for example, all the healthcare providers now, they provide, you you have access to tele tele um to doctors at the pain in my head like this and then you'll get yeah. a consultation online is there any one area you could say there'd be a real quick fix that would that would uh people just i'm just curious like you talked about the health well, the area of the healthcare of hiv area of, of yeah. the covid disease everybody has a mobile phone so everybody's access yes. the distribution is there the channels are yeah there. is there any one particular yeah. thing that would say here's an easy one to make happen that's not happening yeah i think chronic care I think chronic care is huge and it's a growing space. We're looking at it here in my Dawa and in Kenya is more generally as well. I and mean, then specifically in the West, you know, um, diseases have moved away from your kind of tropical, typical tropical diseases. <laughs> Speaking of subject, I have typhoid at the moment. These, you know, diseases that are very outdated in the, what we would term the West and are moving towards this chronic care, hypertension, diabetes, asthma, et cetera. A lot of that 
care is based on refill care. And, you know, you are if you're a steady patient for hypertension or diabetes, you're getting refills all the time, but you're still walking into your doctor or you're refilling your pharmacy products every month. How can we make that easy for the customer to manage that customer better and make sure they're more adherent to their medication? And I think that's a space that's going to be really interesting to look at in the future, particularly as tech savvy, you know, 40, 50 year olds who are really conversant with technology because I've kind of grown with it are becoming these chronic care patients. How do we make it easy for them to engage in their personal care as opposed to being reliant on their healthcare provider? That traditional model of going to the GP, waiting for your 15 minute consultation. Yeah. That's respect. I mean that respectfully. Then the GP says, oh, I, I brought it to here. We're going to send you a reference letter to go to St. Vincent's. You then go there, yeah. and they, they, you know, so it could be, it could it not efficiency is the wrong word, but it just, you have access to the right person maybe quicker. Is that kind of what's this diagnosis? Yeah, diagnosis I think that's the thing. Yeah. It's convenience, isn't it? It's making sure that healthcare is convenient for the customer so that they engage with it and they lower the burden of their health on society more generally. Gosh, interesting. What's next, uh, May, for you? Where do you see yourself? Uh, this is a, sorry, a different question for everybody. You know, where do you see yourself in five yeah. years, something like that. Where would you like to see yourself and what you've learned now, uh, type of, of not that you want to leave your own organization? I'm just curious in the future, as you look forward, where do you see yeah. uh, what's going to, um, I suppose, the, the um, developments that are going to happen and building yeah. on the experience you have now? Where would you, where might you see yourself moving? Yeah, going forward, I suppose, um, for me personally, and I think it's a lot of people's misperception by backgrounds and NGOs, they say you have an African development master's out, you must want to go into, you know, the UN or, you know, an NGO. And I say, actually, no, that's not where I want to go. For me personally, I love working in global health. So I want to stay in the healthcare space. Um, And there's kind of three key skills that quite I enjoy about my role at the moment. I want to hone my management skills, my new business development skills and kind of strategy development. So I think looking at something a little bit more broadly, I love project management, um, but I would love to work in a space that enables me to work on, you know, multiple projects at different times. So maybe going into the consultancy area or into a larger organization that has you know, the scope for me to work on 10 different projects as opposed to three or four different projects um, and to move regularly between them. That's kind of where I see myself going. So staying in commercial area, but in global health where there's social impact um, and hopefully working my way up the ranks in terms of management and honing those management and new business development and strategy skills. Gotcha, because tech enables this, all these products, all these services to be, um delivered or to be to be shared to be explained yeah much quicker. exactly so it's, it's not like i mean ngo i might use the word ngo oh in effect and then hugely important organizations but this kind of new sector is that the word or new space where you're fusing a lot of traditional um yeah i i using yeah. Porter and Kramer um, are two theorists who talk about stakeholder value. And they say, instead of looking at CSR, which is kind of what commercial organizations would typically have looked at, look at stakeholder value and look at what does it mean for each individual person who's touched by your organization? And like you said, NGOs have massive impact. That's not to diminish their impact. But I think the opacity, particularly in healthcare for commercial organizations, 
to innovate and to affect the lives of millions of people is really, really exciting and something I want to be part of. That's kind of a cool dream. To, to, to support <laughs> millions of people i like that i like that <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm conscious of your time i know you're squeezing me in here you've got a big a big a big meeting coming up um just last question if i can um yeah three four five words of how would you describe where you are now simple words yeah simple words um exciting really exciting uh <laughs> impact driven um and I suppose healthcare management are probably three of the three terms. Yeah, I would say exciting, impact-driven healthcare management <laughs> describes yeah. where I am at the moment and where I want to continue to be. Gosh. And I might throw another one in. You know, I've been lucky. I know we've worked together a couple of years ago, but I think you, you're growing hugely as a human. Thank you. Thanks, James. <laughs> to hear you and the fun and the enthusiasm and the energy. Uh, it, it's great. To, you obviously love what you do. Yeah, yeah, no, I do. And I'm really, really, really grateful to be in the area. I'm lucky to be in the area I am and have a job that I do love and I'm grateful for and I want to continue to grow with. Listen, Maeve, I, I, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the Career Scoop. It's great that you share your, your journey in such a succinct way. I hope that there are going to be other younger people, like I, I can say that at my age, that they'll hear what you've done. Uh, really, I think what you're saying is, you know, obviously have a bit of an old plan but sometimes you got to jump off the cliff a little bit uh, yeah and, and don't be afraid that. don't be afraid and grab it <laughs> exactly take what comes for you that's great Maeve. thanks very much thank you so much james have a good day thank you for listening to the career scoop brought to you by elevate career advice and elevate executive selection dublin and bermuda i'm james fitzsimons and hope you enjoyed listening bye